He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried yet. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. We all, all of us, like sheep, have gone astray, and each of us had turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us to fall on him. All the shirt and tie. I looked at the temperature and it's 104. I said, maybe they'll forgive me if I don't wear it. So my wife said, yes, they'll forgive you. So, <laughs> uh, well, I know Kinsey and some of his family. And I know this young man down here, his wife and their family. So I don't know a lot of you, but I will say you kind of have our heart over here and our piano player <clears throat> from Corpus Church. So we miss them and all the fellowship and fun we used to have together and bonfires and all kind of things. So you're, you're a blessed church. And I just want to say about Kinsey, uh, we went over there and he was the translator. If he wouldn't... Uh, if he wouldn't have went, we wouldn't have been able to go. We didn't have a translator. And, and I can honestly say you have a man here who had risked his life for the gospel. But I don't want to just let you know you have somebody who went there because of to give the gospel, but also to reach his family. And I can't tell you how amazing it is to see him here, some of them that God, by his sovereignty, which is what we're going to talk about today, has brought them here, even in this church. So praise God for your family there, Kinsey, and what God has done. You keep on having a heart for the Lord and, and putting yourself at risk if it calls for it. Amen? Amen. So if you turn to uh, the book of Acts, we're going to be in chapter 10, but I want to do just a little background before we get there. So chapter 10, verse 1, but I'm going to go back to just look at uh, some things that were happening to give you a context of what was going on during this time. Um, you know... The gospel was supposed to go out to the Jew first and then to the Gentile, right? Everybody knows that, right? But did you know it didn't go to, it went out to the Jew first, but then it didn't go to the Gentile next. You know where it went? It went to the half-Jews, the Samaritans. God is so efficient, so precise. His sovereignty is amazing. And you're going to see it in these verses. But I'm just going to show you right here. It says, Philip in Samaria. And uh, the people that have went out and have been preaching the word, and Philip went down to a city called Samaria. And so he ends up having a revival there. And the Lord moves on these half-breeds. Half, I don't say that in a derogatory term. They're half-Jews and half-Gentiles. And so he goes there. And the Lord works on Philip, and Philip works on those people by the word of God. And so there's a big revival. And word gets back to Peter and John, the apostles, hey, the people in Samaria, not the Jews, the word of the Lord, they, they, are, they, are, they have been uh, saved. They're responding to the gospel. And so they go. And they go there to verify. And also, they lay hands on these people who have believed to receive the Holy Spirit, for one. And secondly, that they would 
verify that they were truly Christians. They were tr- the word wasn't there yet, but they were truly believers. And so they were accepted by the apostles, and they were accepted by the people there. So that's the reason Peter is in Joppa. And Philip ends up leaving, and he goes to Caesarea, which we're going to hear about both of these here in a minute. So Philip's in Caesarea, Peter's in Joppa. Now Peter ends up in Joppa because this lady named Dorcas, he was actually in Lida, and it just happens this lady dies, and people hear that Peter is really close in Joppa. And so this coincidence that happened, you know, how there's a lot of coincidence with the Lord and the Bible. This happened, and there he was. And so they went and got him in that hopes that he might be able to do something. Well, she had already been dead. And Peter goes in, takes everybody out of the room, and he brings her back to life. And so, again, the word spread everywhere. So Peter's now in Joppa, and Philip is in Caesarea, which takes us to chapter 10. So it's, it's quite a few verses. And so I'm not going to go in as deep as I necessarily would go, and, uh, but hopefully deep enough. So we're going to go through it, and uh, if you have questions, we can talk about it at the uh, fellowship hill. Okay? So verse 1. So I'm going to read a few verses, comment, and that's how we're going to do it. So now, there was a man at Caesarea. His name was Cornelius. Cornelius was a centurion and was called the Italian cohort. So a centurion was over about 100 people. If any of you have military experience, especially army, he'd be the equivalent to an army captain that had a company underneath him, a company of men. And so he was from the Italian cohort. Well, if you're a Roman soldier, and if you want to be known by people, if you had something special in your resume... It would be the Italian cohort, right? Rome, Italy, has a little pool there. So they were the Italian cohort. And so there was about somewhere between 10 and 15 cohorts in the area of Judea. And they always built their outposts by the ocean. So Joppa and Caesarea are on the ocean. And they had Roman soldiers in both places. So it says about this man that he was a devout man, one who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to Jewish people and prayed to God continually. What a testimony, right? But this is an unsaved man. Whenever they talk about a God-fearing man in this particular Time. the idea was that he was a half proselyte. So to be a Jewish proselyte, you had to go by all the laws and, and stick to them, but you also had to be circumcised. But they had these other people that they would let be in the synagogues and, and listen to the teaching, and they, they were called uh, God-fearers. So they would go and listen to the sermons, listen to the, they would take and keep the moral law, which was real close to like our moral law, but they didn't believe in circumcision. So that's what this guy was. He prayed to the Lord. He prayed continually. He was looking for something, but he did not know what he needed, but he knew he needed something. And he was going to this Jewish God that he knew very little about the God and the Bible. He was going to him, but he didn't really know who Jesus was. The other thing, he, he could, he could uh, 
he couldn't really go into the temple. He couldn't give sacrifices. But his way of giving sacrifices was praying and giving alms, helping the poor. He was very well known, very well liked by the Jewish people. Which is an amazing in itself because the Jewish people didn't like Gentiles too much at all. And even if they did like them, they couldn't have anything to do with them. Because if they had anything to do with them, they would be unclean. They wouldn't be able to attend or go to the places that would go as Jewish people. So it was a hard situation to get close a Gentile and a Jew. So about the ninth hour of the day, he, talking about Cornelius, clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, so picture this. He has this vision. He sees this angel of God come in and calls him by name, Cornelius. Well, here it says, and fixing his gaze on him and being much alarmed. So he was looking hard at this angel and much alarm is really, if you think about it, really is, he was probably shaking in his boots. He was scared. But he calls him by name, Cornelius. And listen to what he says, the angel. Cornelius says, what is it, Lord? It's interesting he called him Lord, right? And he said to him, your prayers and alms have ascended to a memorial before God. Your praying and giving to the poor has ascended to a memorial before God. How does that work with your theology? Can a lost person pray? Will God hear his prayer? Just something to think about. But that's what happened here. Now, he had some knowledge, but he didn't have knowledge of Christ. So we're going to see that the Lord is faithful for those who have a little bit of knowledge to give them more knowledge. So this is what the angel tells him. Now, dispatch... Some men to Joppa. Now, he's in Caesarea right now, and that's about 30 to 35 miles difference between the two. To Joppa and send for a man named Simon. Simon, who is also called Peter, the apostle, right? He is staying with a tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. Well, tanners were not seem to be as kosher. The Jews didn't really like them because they had to handle dead animals all the time. And if you know anything about the Jews, if you handle something dead, you got, you're unclean. So, and the other thing, he was by the sea, so they used the salt water to hang out the, the hides and stuff. That's the reason he was by the sea. So he's telling them where to go. Now, when the angel who was speaking to him had left, he summoned two of his servants, a devout soldier like himself, and those who were his personal attendants. And after he explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. He didn't just send one person. He didn't just send just anybody he sent the best he had, the people that were closest to him, his best man, one who was devout. And I believe that devout means devout in God like he was. And he was very careful to explain everything to him because he wanted this mission, this trip to be successful. Now notice... Cornelius, who was not a Christian, obeyed the angel right away. He didn't ask questions. He didn't say why, because I don't have enough men. You want three or four or six? What do you want? He just, okay, got it. He went. He sent him. Now, which is better, immediate obedience or delayed obedience. <laughs> yeah. 
You have children, which is better, immediate or delayed? Here we have a lost person that's immediate, but he was serious about trying to find out about God. So on the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, now that's these six people, they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up to his house about the sixth hour to pray. Anybody knows what the sixth hour is? Come on. You can say it. What? Noon. Correct. <laughs> that's, what my, that's what my thing said. I could be wrong. <laughs> so, God had to, he arranged this with Cornelius. He set this up. Now he's got Peter, who's been exposed to the Sumerians, half Jew, half Gentile. Now he's got to get Peter ready to deal with a full Gentile. A full Gentile. So this is going to take a very special lesson for Peter. And it's a very good object lesson. So on the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, now Peter don't know anything about any of this that's happened yet. Peter went up to the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. But he became hungry and was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a vision. No, it says he fell into a trance. Now, the difference between a trance and a vision, I don't know, but I'm assuming that trance is more focus. Um, because if I see somebody in a trance, it's like, wow, they're, you know, <laughs> they're not paying attention to anything except whatever that trance has got them into. He was into a trance. And in this trance, let's see what happens. And a voice came to him. Wait a minute, I messed up here. But he came, became hungry and desiring to eat, but while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. And he saw the sky open up. Think about this. And there was a great sheet coming down with four corners. And it was lowered to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals, crawling creatures of the earth, and birds in the air. Birds of the air. So don't think of this as a picture, a sheet that has pictures embroidered on it. This was the real deal. He had all that stuff in that sheet, in this vision, in this, in this trance that he had. And so he's looking at this, amazed. And, and the other thing about these animals, they were, some were unclean, some were clean. There was a mixture. And a voice came to him and said, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord. Now, be careful when you use that together. When you say no and Lord in the same sentence, they don't go together. There's only one thing you can use in that. Yes, Lord. But Peter's going to say it three times, as he often does. But he gets it eventually. He said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy or unclean. Think about never in his life. And now he's got all this mass of unclean and clean things and, and the Lord is telling him or the angels tell him get up rise and eat and he says by no means Lord so 
And this happened, it tells us here, this happened three times, and immediately it was taken up. So three times he's given a command to get up and eat. Three times he says, by no means. And three times the Lord said, what God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. Think about that. What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. Unholy. He's fixing to go to meet Cornelius. He's fixing to go meet the Gentile. And Peter in that trance got hold of something, or the Lord got hold of Peter, because we are going to see a change here. Now, while Peter was greatly perplexed, now look at the timing on this. While he's greatly perplexed in his mind so as to what the vision might be, he don't know. He says, Behold, the men who have been sent by Cornelius have asked directions to Simon's house and appeared at the gate. So this is what's going on. And calling out, they were asking whether Simon, who was called Peter, was staying there. Now Peter's still trying to figure out this vision. These men are downstairs. And it says, While Peter was reflecting on the vision, guess what? The Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. I said six before, it's actually three. But get up, go downstairs, and accompany them, accompany them, accompany them without misgivings. It means without any kind of pushback, without any questions. Just get up and go with them. Why? Because I have sent them myself. These Roman soldiers, which are outside your door, these Gentiles, which are outside your door, I sent them. You go with them. Now, remember, he still has this vision fresh in his mind. I mean, it's real fresh, <laughs> you know, like minutes ago. So Peter goes down to the men and said, Behold, I am the one you are looking for. Now, see, that would have to kind of rattle you if you're those guys. They hadn't even said who they are or anything. He goes to the door, he opens it and says, Behold, I'm the guy you're looking for. <laughs> then he asked them, What is the reason for which you have come? Why you come here? And listen to what they say. And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, there's that word again, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, what a resume, was, listen to this, divinely, divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you and to come to his house and hear a message from you. Now, remember I told you Philip, who had just had a revival, was right there in Caesarea. Why didn't the Lord just have Philip go there? Or better yet, why didn't he just have the angel? Why well, he had the vision for Cornelius, why didn't he give, have him give the gospel? I'm sure the angel knew it. Well, we know the answer to that one, right? It's not the angel's privilege. It's your privilege and my privilege as believers in God to give the gospel. That doesn't give, be given out to just anybody. So you think about that the next time you have an opportunity, opportunity to share the gospel. It's a privilege. Even the angels can't do it. So listen to this. Listen to what Peter does. And so he invited them in and gave them lodging. Who did he invite in? The Gentile Roman soldiers? His, his, he would be unclean right away. It's, it's, we'll see later on that, that actually in later chapters they're going to say, what, we heard that you have this Gentiles come and stay at your house. How can that be? Why would you do that? So Peter has already got a change in mind. He's remembering that vision. The trance, sorry. So Peter goes. On the following day, he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together 
his relatives and close friends. Now think about that. Did the Lord say anything about getting your family and relatives ready? No, he didn't. But Cornelius loved this family. And it said they were God-fearing too. And he loved his friends. And so he invited probably as many as would come. Well, they said there were many. There's an, there's, an, there's an example of somebody inviting somebody to church that they might hear the gospel. We can do that, can't we? It's not that hard. But think about that if you were lucky enough, if you were privileged enough to be one of those who were called into this meeting with Peter to hear the gospel. And yet, here you sit. Many of you are already saved. You have been fortunate enough. You have been chosen. You are part of the elite. You're from the, not the cohort Italian, but from the Christian cohort of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have the title Christian, which hasn't even come into effect yet. That's the next chapter. How fortunate we are. So here it comes. And on the following day, he entered Caesarea, where uh, Cornelius had, was waiting there and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter raised, up, raised him up, picked him up, and said, Stand up. I, too, am just a man. Can't be worshiping man, can they? He's not an angel. Can't be worshiping angels either. Angel would have you stand up too. You only worship God. And as he talked with him, he entered and found, get this, many people assembled. They were assembled, ready to go. You can tell by what happens next. He said to them, you yourselves know, this is Peter. He said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. He's already had him stay at his house. Now he's visiting them. And yet God, here's the connection with the sheets, yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. The door is open for the Gentiles. And here comes the gospel. That is why I came without even raising an objection. That's also why the Holy Spirit said, don't make an objection. Don't have any misgivings. This is from me. And when I was sent for, so he came right away. Again, servant, immediate obedience wow. that's what we need to be that's what we need to be and so Cornelius and, and so Peter says so I asked I ask, this is why I came without raising objection and then when I was sent now so I asked for what reason have you sent for me he still don't know why he sent for him he might have a suspicion, but he don't know. And Cornelius says, four days ago this hour, I was praying in my house during the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in shining garments, and he said, Cornelius, your prayers have, heard, have been heard, and your arms, alms have been remembered before God. Therefore, send to Joppa and invite Simon, who is called Peter, to come to you, he is staying at the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and you have been kind enough. You've been kind enough to come. Thank you, Lord. Now then, okay, now what? Now then, we're all here, present before God, to hear 
all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So this is the preacher's dream. They have a whole house full that's never heard the gospel and sitting there with their, just like little birds with their mouth open and saying, feed me. And so Peter has this privilege. And so Peter does. It says, open in his mouth, open his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now, understand what, Peter? That God is not one to show partiality. God is not one to show partiality. He's talking Gentile, Jew, or whatever. He is not a person that the gospel is for everyone. But in, and here he says it, but in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him, talking about Christ. Now he gives this testimony. The word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee, after the baptism of John proclaimed. He's talking about Jesus and what all he did. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, so you've heard of him, you know about him. And how God anointed him in the Holy Spirit and with power, and now he went about doing good and healing all who were opposed, oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses of all these things. He did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him. So there's the death of Christ. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible. Not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand, that be Peter and others, by God, that is, to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. There's a testimony. We ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. We didn't only know him before, but we know him after. And by the way, he ate and drank with us. He came back physical in his glorified body. And Jesus, he ordered us to preach. He ordered us to preach to the people and to solemnly testify that this is the one, talking about Jesus, who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Of him, all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin. Peter's still preaching. But what happens? While Peter was still speaking these words, which was the gospel, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. That, too, is one of the preacher's dreams, that he could be preaching and the Lord would interrupt his message and shut his mouth and the Holy Spirit would fill the place and bless the people. And when you're lifting up Christ, and that's what he was doing, when you're doing the gospel, he may not fall in that way, but he might fall upon a person, and they receive the gift of salvation. So all the circumcised believers there, and with Peter, were amazed. Wait a minute. These Gentiles are speaking in tongues. These Gentiles have received the gift that we thought was reserved for the Jews or reserved for the Jews and the Gentile and the Sumerians. But now we see, we have proof that the Holy Spirit has fell on the Gentiles too. Then Peter says, and they were, they were here and speaking in tongues, and they were exalting God. Then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized, who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. Can he? Question. And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. 
and they asked him to stay with them more days. The Holy Spirit was the sign that these are true believers, just like you were. And the Gentiles have now been accepted to the church. Now, later on in the chapters, you'll read, up to this time, somewhere between six and eight years, the Jewish church was that, Jewish. And they didn't go out and, and, and evangelize those in a normal situation. They didn't evangelize those who were not Jews. But you'll read in later chapters where after this, they end up going to Antioch. They start a church in Antioch, and people are being witnessing to Gentiles. And in Antioch, you have a Gentile and Jewish church. You never had that before. So the church is now, and that's where they become called not Jew or Gentile, but Christian. And some believe that was a derogatory term because people were making fun of them because they were like Christ-like and that was like a bad thing. No, they were Christ-like, and that's a good thing. And that thing they meant is to be derogatory is actually a compliment. So they became Christians in Antioch. I want you to think about the sovereignty of God. I want you to think about God bringing all this about I don't know what the odds would be to have all those circumstances to have precise timing and come about, but it would be staggering. And, you know, a lot of times we want to give credit to man on churches being built and what God's doing and things like that. Do you see anything about man in here? The early church, believe it or not, folks, they were reactionary. I showed it to you in uh, with Philip. Philip's out there evangelizing. All of a sudden, people start getting saved. So the head church up there gets the request, hey, something's going on down there. You better go check it out. So they go and react, and then they, they verify it's of the Lord, and they bless it, and they lay hands on it and said, this is official. So now we have the Jews and the Samaritans. And then what happens a little bit later on, Peter's working in that area, and the Lord's going to make sure he gets it this time because he's going to be right there in the middle of it, and he verifies that the Lord has opened the church to the Gentiles. God is moving all through this area in his sovereignty. He's a sovereign God. He's a mighty God. He's a gracious God. The people that he was saving Gentiles. The people that he saved before, the ones that were hollering crucify on the cross. He was bringing about salvation to the Gentiles and to the Jews. He was building his church. He was building his church. And it wasn't, again, some Church of Jerusalem master plan. This is what we're going to do. First, we're going to start. Oh, we got we got Jesus's blueprint. Let's see. We go here. We start in Jerusalem, and then we go to Samaria and Judea, and all points after that. So you think after what five or seven years that they'd already be into those all points out there, but they weren't. It really was the they were they were they were responding to what God was doing. They were responding to what God was doing. Is that a bad thing? I don't think so. It looks like they did a pretty good job. But sometimes we want to put it on our shoulders. We want to think that, hey, if I don't do this, there's going to be consequences. And don't get me wrong. We're supposed to do what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to obey the Lord. We're supposed to obey the, the leading of the Holy Spirit. But God will build his church. God will build his church. You can't build it. He can. If we do in our efforts, it ain't going to last. But God, he built this church. I don't know how many years Antioch, the church of Antioch, lasted after that. But it was a bunch. So God builds his church. He can build his church. And if we try to do it on our own power, it probably ain't going to work. 
But if we just be faithful and do the things that we know we're to do, that God shows us and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and trust him and believe him, that's all we need to do. And obey immediately. You saw that. Immediately. See where God's working. Obey him immediately. You know, in a small, we, we were in a very small church, right? <laughs> it started off as two families. And it was probably, I don't know, quite a few years before we even got up to like five or six families. And we don't have a ton of families now. But you know, the Lord has blessed us. He's allowed us to go into Lebanon, to take little short trips to different places, uh, to send out missionary, right? Uh, Dan Sims and them, that, that's from our church. And uh, you're talking about a brave man, a, a crazy man for the Lord. That's Dan Sims. <laughs> Anybody knows and knows that's true. But you hang around him a little while and you end up being crazy too. Be crazy for the Lord. And you'd be encouraged. So I guess if I had something to say with you is, is don't be discouraged. God is in control. Whether we like it or not, where we think we can do anything about it or not, he is. He will build his church. I know Michael Durham said it. I saw the podcast that the gates of hell won't go against it, and it won't. But when you're reading the book and you see the sovereignty of God, God and how he brings all these things about, be amazed. Just praise the Lord. And then you just have to believe him. You have to trust him that he's going to do the right thing, that he will take care of I, I got news for you. He loves you, and he gave his life for you. He's not going to let you fail. Or you might sin, and the church could be totally dissolved, but he's not going to let you fail. He's going to build his church, and I pray this is one of them. You, you guys have a great opportunity. As young men and, and people who would be leaders in the church eventually, a great opportunity to, to get up and lead and serve before this family. And it don't have to be the pastor or the deacon. There's many ways you can serve. And the women as well. There's many ways you can serve. So don't, don't be, we're little so we can't do much. Do you remember that song? I have to say it. If you haven't learned it yet, Jason, you need to teach it to them. Little is much when God is in it. It's true. It's true. I hope that might be a good song for you all one day. But uh, I believe God has a lot for this church, and I think he has a lot of great opportunities for you all. So I hope you won't be sitting around and looking at your belly button and, and not getting out there and living for the Lord. Amen. I don't know how we're doing on time. In the four, what time do I start? I usually go about 20 minutes. Do I make it? Huh? <laughs> All right, we have time for the Lord's Supper or no? Okay. Well, that's another six pages of notes over here. We're not going to go through all of them. <laughs> all right, so... We'll just read some of Isaiah 53. You can never go wrong with that on the Lord's Supper, right? Isaiah 53. He was despised and forsaken of men. I'm sorry, turn to there if you want to. Isaiah 53, verses 3 through 12. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried yet. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. 
but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. We all, all of us, like sheep, have gone astray, and each of us had turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us to fall on him. He has oppressed, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. I'm going to stop there with that. Um, just want to mention to you that as we think of Christ and we love the Lord's Supper in, in our church and we have done it every Sunday since it came an inception. That was Dan Sims's idea, by the way. And uh, it's been a blessing because it's a time, a reverent time, and we can think about what God has done for us, that we remember him like the scripture says, remember what he did on the cross. And as we go through the years remembering him, there's so many different scriptures that we use, and we just see them everywhere. But it's a, a very special time. Again, it's a reverent time. You know, on the cross, there were three crosses. Three men, one a God-man. One got grace. One got judgment. And one got the wrath of God. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be the righteousness of God. God's, the Father's wrath, came upon Christ on that cross. And it was poured out on him. It said, Deramo in, in Spanish. It was poured out on him. But that was our sin. That was all the sins of everybody that would believe in him. Not only our present sin, but past, present, and future was poured out on Christ. And it was God the Father, God the righteous judge, who poured out that sin because he had to have payment for our sins so that we could go free. He had to die so we could live. We proclaim his death until he comes again. And by the way, he is coming. He said so. I will turn. And so... Be ready for that. I hope you know Christ. I hope you know something of this Savior that the centurion was looking for. And by the way, he found him, or did God find him? <laughs> Read the story again. Again, special time. Now, I don't know how you do it, but I think I do. Uh, so I'm going to give it a shot. Somebody want to get the, the wine and the or the juice for me. and uh, So we, the church I have, we have it pretty simpler, similar as well. We have uh, juice. Okay. So the, say that again. Okay. The gold tray is wine. There you go. Gold wine, silver grapes. And so we're going to take the Lord's Supper. So I'm reading for First Corinthians eleven twenty three. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took the bread. Took the bread. I better wait till everybody gets their stuff. Sorry.
Now, who can take the Lord's Supper? Those who have something to remember. Remember what Christ did for you. Remember you're in the Christian cohort. You're a believer in Christ. Hey, brother, so good to see you. So again, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus and the night in which he was betrayed took the bread and broke it. He broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. You do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant of my blood. To do this, do this as often as you drink it, and in remembrance of him. I just want to pray for the church, and then we'll have whoever wants to come up and do the other part. Father, I just uh, pray for this church, Lord, and the people. And Lord, I, I pray that they would trust in you, and they would look to you. That, Lord, you would supply their needs physically and spiritually and strength, Lord. That, Lord, your Holy Spirit would walk upon, walk among your people here and bless them, encourage them, teach them, grow them, mature them. Give a desire to share this good news, Lord, wherever they go. Lord, bless your church. We're so glad that you loved us and gave your life for us.